Well, good morning again. It's fantastic to have you here together. And as Mark mentioned, there are a lot of different announcements in the bulletin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through just a couple of things with you. Oh, by the way, my name's Nathan. It's been great to meet so many of you. I'm really struggling to learn all the names, but I'm going to keep working at it. We've got an amazing church here. So, um, so there are a lot of things going on. You notice things on the website. You get emails with different things going on. And, um, and we don't take time to go through every single thing. But I'd love to, to talk to you about a couple of things and also do a couple of things with you. As I'm talking, if you could find the insert that has prayer uh, kind of information on it in Scripture. So on the right hand, or I'm sorry, on the left hand side, you're going to see Scripture passages, Colossians, Colossians, Ephesians, and so forth. Um, we have a prayer team back behind the scenes that helps to, to put a lot of different things together for us. So we're continually praying to the Lord, and in our worship services, we have prayer partners and prayer stations after the service, and they do a lot of different things kind of um, around the church to help us to continue to connect with the Lord. Um, one of our folks had put together some, some scripture passages that talk about being united with the Lord and connecting with the Lord, and, and you know, what, what kind of prayers are in the Bible that have been prayed before that then we could pray to kind of connect with God. Because sometimes we're like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know kind of how to take that next step in my spiritual journey. So what I'd invite you to do is just take this. And then if you've got like a book or a Bible that you're going to be looking at later in the week, you could slide it in there. Or in my case, my keys are right here in my pocket. I know where I put those when I get home at night. I put them up on my dresser and then I go through all the, the stuff that I've collected in my pockets throughout the day. I want to put this in my pocket. So I'd invite you maybe even to do this. I'm going to stick it in my pocket. Not don't put yours in my pocket. I'm just saying put it in your pocket. And, uh, and that way, you know, maybe tonight you could take it out, stick it by your bedside or, or someplace at home where you could pray those prayers. Does that make sense? So we can kind of pray some continual kind of things together that are from the scripture. Why would we want to pray? Well, because we're messing with the worship times and that's like one of the most dangerous things to do in a church. That's not the only reason to pray. But that is one good reason to pray. You all have been absolutely amazing and fantastic in the past six months and then into seven months trying to figure out what would be the best way for us to worship and at what time and in what way. And so we had tried simultaneous worship services and, um, and that had been amazing. At the same time, I started, you know, kind of hearing from folks, maybe this isn't the best for us long term. I had done a, a, an opinion poll, uh, you know, last week when we were all together in the, in the sanctuary. I said, hey, would you just let me know, do you want us to perfect the two concurrent service model, or do you want us to try to figure out two services, um, two, two service times? And you see the results in that other insert there in your bulletin. Just wanted to be transparent. Um, wasn't even close, you know, 169 to 56, 169 saying, hey, please figure out leaders behind the scenes, see if there's some way that we could have two worship times for a whole host of different reasons. And, um, and so then we took that to our worship assessment team, and they agreed, you know, it was, it was overwhelming majority of folks said, yeah, let's, let's try to see if we could have two different worship times that'd be convenient for folks. If you missed one, you could go to the other one. If you've got different things going on, you could go to one rather than the other, uh, different styles and so forth. So I just wanted to be sure that we're transparent there. And over the next couple of weeks, we're working behind the scenes to say, okay, there's no perfect solution, but out of all the different possible ones, what might work the best? And so we're putting back to our staff right now, hey, what, if, what would this look like? So the leadership team met, said, hey, try to figure out some different things. And, um, and so we're going to try to nail that down in the next couple of weeks. But until then, we're all together. We're worshiping together. 
And um, I'm carrying in my wallet our church prayer because I'm slow, hard for me to, to remember sometimes. And yet the heart behind what we pray together as a church, as one body, is absolutely powerful. We've been praying it and praying it together. And um, if, you, if you know that prayer, would you pray it with me? I may even have a slide about that. Let's pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. We pray that together as a body. We're trying to worship together as a big group. And then later on, you know, you may talk about that in smaller groups. And we have some some training coming up in September that we'll be continually talking about that if you wanted to lead a small group to kind of worship or to talk about the Bible or to do a study, we'll have training. The equip team is putting together in September. You may have already noticed that. So we're trying to be united together. And, uh, you know, this whole picture that we've had on the bulletin, different hands of different backgrounds coming together, trying to be united all together. It's one thing to be united physically in a space because you're all there together, but it's a whole other thing to be united at a spiritual and relational level, isn't it? And I started thinking about that. It's not just in the name of our church, but it is in the name of our church. We're First United Methodist Church of Marysville, and sometimes I've been saying we're First Methodist, when people ask me, you know, what church are you now a part of? And I say First Methodist. But if I drop the United, it's not because I don't want us to be united. You know, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. But if you think about being united, I thought, is it worth it? I mean, is it important to try to stay united together in any context? And I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, what would it look like if we said that we wanted to be the opposite of united? Because we like our freedom. Does anybody like having other people tell you what to do? No, you know, but sometimes being united, you know, you have to kind of work that out. Um, We like to to do kind of what we want to do. So is it really worth being united? So I looked up antonyms of united. If we weren't trying to be united, what would we try to be? And here are some of the the words that came up. Antonyms of united, the opposite of united. To be torn apart, to be divided among yourselves, to be split up, to be fragmented, separated, disagreeable. Does that sound fun? No, it's like, no discordant, uncongenial, inharmonious, or disharmonious. I don't know what the difference is, but it sounds bad, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Incompatible, class, sheen, and quarrelsome. And so I started thinking about that, and I thought, if we change the name of our church to First Fragmented Church of Mary's, like, that's ridiculous. You know, we started saying, we're the, we're the First Quarrelsome Methodist Church in Marysville. Like, that would be ridiculous. We don't want the opposite. What about in our relationships? Um, if you're somebody's BFF, that stands for, you can say it with me, best friend forever. What if we change that? What if we were like, united is not worth trying to be for us. So we should be best friends for now. <laughs> you know, until somebody else comes along, you like better, you know, whatever. And, and even in marriage, we're, we say that united is important, but is it really? Because, you know, it's hard to stay united in your marriage. 
Well, Faith Hill declared what the opposite of it looks like in the song, Dearly Beloved. Some of you know it. Some of you could sing it along. Good morning, dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to watch two people we know make a big mistake. They'll stand up at the altar and solemnly swear I do. They'll be together forever till they find somebody new. I thought it was funny. I thought that was, ha, ha, ha. It's like, dude, you're hitting too close to home. I don't like that, right? We'll be together forever till we find somebody new. The opposite of united, we know, is not good for our friendships. It's not good for our marriages. It's not good for our church. And yet things come against us that can divide us, that can drive us apart. So wouldn't it be nice to find some help from God for those times when we're tempted to be fragment, we're tempted to split, we're tempted to let things get in our way that are going to drive us apart. If God could help us with that, would you be interested? I would. I would. Absolutely. So you get into the scripture and you realize that Jesus himself knew this was not an easy thing for us to do, to stay united, because he prayed himself to God the Father, trying to help us to be united. Click. Click. There we go. All right. Let me make sure I'm doing this right. Maybe I turned it off. I'm sorry, guys. My bad. My prayer is not for them alone. Who is he praying for at first? The Christians. The Christians. A long time ago. The Christians, the, the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, the Father God, who we were praying to and we were talking to, and Matt was leading us into that direct connection with the Father in us, us and the Father, because we're in Jesus and Jesus' Spirit is in us, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as they have loved me. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I mean, could you just see Jesus crying out, Oh God, the Father, help them to be one. Help them to be unified. Help them. And then as the things come against us and the temptations come to be fragmented and go, their, go our own way, we've got different things that come and we've got three different strategies that I wanted to dive into. In the scripture... For Jesus' prayer to be lived out, there are three different kind of models that God gives us for when we're tempted to bail. The best friends forever start to say, no, we're just best friends for now. Now we're moving on. The marriage gets so rocky that you start saying, wait a second, is it worth it to stick together? The church relationships are so, so kind of strained that you say, wait a second, here's a temptation for us to dri- be driven apart. What do we do? What do we do? God, help us. And the scripture and the lived experience of Christians and the lived experience of Jesus on earth help us in these ways. First thing you can do is disagree, but be united. Barnabas and Mark versus Paul. Some of you heard me talk about this already. If you disagree, but you're still united in spirit with God the Father through Jesus, and you're united in that salvation story of Jesus, you might be able to work out your differences, but you might need some space. 
Barnabas and Paul were best friends. I mean, these are BFFs, right? In the best sense of the word, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas had stood up for Paul. They had been together. He had had his back, and Paul had Barnabas's back. But when they went together on missionary journeys and took people to teach them how to be missionaries, at one point they took this guy, John Mark, and John Mark chickened out, and he bailed, and he went home. Now, if you're leading that mission trip, and somebody was there, and then they kind of chickened out and went home, are you like, oh, no big deal? No. Now you're brokenhearted. You can think about friends that you thought you were counting on that bailed on you just when things were rough. And you think, wait a second, that was not cool. And so then the next time that Paul and Barnabas are going to take a trip, we read in the book of Acts that Barnabas, who's this big-hearted guy who seems to always want to stand up for the little guy, at least initially, he wants to take John Mark with them. And Paul's like, uh-uh not going to happen. And they talk it out and talk it out, and they couldn't see eye to eye on this. The strategy, they couldn't, they couldn't agree. Have you ever been in a situation with your marriage where, you know, maybe one person bought something and didn't tell you about it, and it's not that it was some evil, horrible thing, but it was a big deal, and you really disagreed with them on that, and it became this spirited discussion. I'm not saying this ever happens in marriages, but maybe you've heard of somebody where there was something analogous to that where you just couldn't even be in the same room for a little bit because you're so frustrated, you're disagreeing, and you just need some space. That's kind of the situation with Paul and Barnabas. What we find out later in Paul's writings, though, is he later on commends John Mark and says that he's doing a great job and that he's proud of him and you all should welcome him as a brother in Christ. They clearly reconciled later, but there was this moment where John Mark had made evidently a bad decision and then Paul kind of loses his temper, you know, and it's just like, no, I'm not giving him a second chance. And yet, because Paul and Barnabas were united in spirit, with the Holy Spirit within them. They still want that salvation message of the gospel. They're still trying to do the right thing. This disagreement on strategy was different from a disagreement on the core. Barnabas wasn't saying John Mark is not a Christian, he's going to hell. Paul and Barnabas weren't disagreeing at that core level. They were saying, wait, on this strategy of what we should do, we don't agree, so we need some space, and then we'll come back together later and we'll reconcile. Can you do that in relationships? Yeah, you absolutely can. I have friends right now, Chip, Steve, Greg. I haven't seen them in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. We've just kind of drifted apart. We're geographically not real close. We haven't had some big fallout or whatever, but, but yeah, we're not really tight right now. But we are united. We've given, you know, we're kind of, we've got some space, but we're still united because we love Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to do God's will in our own lives, but we're not close right now. But you know what that's like to then be able to reconcile back together, come back together and be like, so if they call me in the midst of this service, they leave a message, because I'm busy right now, I'm not going to take the call. But later on, if they leave me a message and say, we've got to have your help, you know, Greg's in trouble, Steve calls me, am I going to be there for him? Yeah, no question, because we're not divided on our core, we're divided on kind of, you know, where we're at and what we're doing, that kind of stuff. Can you do that in your relationships? Maybe Maybe you've got something right now that's dividing you from a friend or from a family member, and you need to just kind of say, wait, we're united in the spirit and the story, but we need to give each other space just a little bit. But it's purposeful space to do God's will, to come back together later and to forgive each other, be there together. If Paul and Barnabas could do it, so could we. 
we're still united. And you say, but Nathan, sometimes it's more complicated than that. I know. There was another time where Paul had a direct confrontation with this guy Cephas. Cephas was also called what? Do you remember? Peter. Peter, thank you. You're like, Cephas is also called Peter. So, so in this particular story, Paul and Peter have been reaching out to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, like, eat bacon, right? They love a good ham sandwich, right? And if you're Jewish, that's not good. That's not cool. And it's not for health reasons. It's because the Old Testament said, don't eat it. Now think about this for a second, because there are ethnic implications to this. If you're ethnically and religiously Jewish in that time period, when you're around Gentiles that are, you know, doing the hog roast, you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with them. They're sinful, that's dirty, that's unholy, that's unclean. The Bible says so, so I'm going to stay away. Jesus kind of redoes our expectations of grace and the law and what laws to obey and which ones not to. And he clearly divides some kind of moral laws out from the laws about what to wear and what to eat. And so he kind of changes the whole thing. And he says, wait, it's all about grace and love of me anyway. And so let me reinterpret for you that Old Testament. And so Paul and Peter agreed on that originally. So they'd be around the Gentiles. I'm still not convinced that maybe they were eating the bacon and stuff, but at least they'd sit at the table, right? They would take their lunch tray and they would go sit with these Gentiles, knowing full well that some of their Jewish friends would be like, no, they're scum, you should stay away. But for a period of time, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, Cephas, they were taking their lunch trays to the unpopular kid's table, and they were eating with them. But then their old school friends came over to town, the old school ones that looked at the Gentiles and said, they're unclean, what they do is filthy, they're dirty, you should stay away. And Cephas, Peter, takes his lunch tray and moves away from them and goes sits with his old school legalistic buddies racist buddies, right? I mean, we're talking religious and ethnic racism. I'm not going to be around them. And so Peter's like, well, I, I love you guys, but, you know, for now, for just for now, I need to sit at the other table. And so what do we read? Paul in Galatians chapter 2, it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, we don't know exactly how that went down. Paul's memory of it is, I was in his face, man. I was like, this is unacceptable for you to say that you love Jesus, who would even touch the lepers. We're talking about way worse, way more scary, kind of dangerous, you know, in terms of contagious and stuff. They didn't understand and stuff. Jesus would even touch the lepers, let alone go and eat with somebody. Like, he would always cross that boundary. You're saying that you love and follow Jesus, and you're being racist against these folks that your friends are... Right there. I mean, are you kidding me? Occasionally, do we need to get in somebody's face and say, this is unacceptable? You're like, no, that's never appropriate. We're just supposed to be kind and nice. But we know what happens. If you're just kind and nice, when the core is at stake, then we're enabling hypocrisy, right? And sometimes, sometimes I haven't wanted to be confrontational and stuff like that because what if they call me out on something? Well, now I'm going to be uncomfortable, right? But the gospel way, the boy of the New Testament is when it's at the core. If you're talking about who Jesus is or what he's done for people or the extreme love that God has for all of us, 
and you see somebody saying, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm moving away from this people Jesus loves so that I can hang out over here, then you need to get in their face and say, wait a second, I want you to be able to live out the full gospel, the full love of God. And right now, you're being a hypocrite. Jesus had strong words for hypocrites. It always scares me a little bit. Like, he would call them snakes, brood of vipers. I'm like, Jesus, please keep me on the straight and narrow so that if I see you face to face, you won't, like, appear and say, Nathan, you snake and you viper. I mean, that's intimidating. That's scary. But that was Jesus. He was, like, the most perfect man ever. Hypocrisy was so bad that he was way worse on the hypocrites than he was on the sinful people that didn't know any better, that maybe they were in generational sin, you know, were struggling and struggling. He was gentle with those people. He's like, look, let me bring you back onto the right path. But if you were living that kind of sinful, selfish, you know, lifestyle, and you were pretending to be all holy, he got in your face. There was a rich guy who bragged, I have kept every law of the Old Testament since I was a child. Now, we know that's ridiculous, right? We know he's lying. There's no way that you were always doing all of those laws all of the time. We know that. But he was like, I'm rich, and I'm powerful, and I've kept every law. So Jesus gets in his face, and he says, oh, there's one last thing that you need to do. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me easy, dude. You're perfect, right? So just show everybody how perfect you are. And he went away mad, right? We know that. So that gets us to the next one. Sometimes you have to divide in order to stay united. This is the scariest one. In that situation of the rich young ruler, he rejects Jesus and Jesus lets him go. And you're like, wait, wouldn't the loving Jesus come, wait, wait, come back, come back. And Jesus is like, he knows better. He's intentionally lying about being a hypocrite to my face. He's putting his money and his power above me. If he won't follow me, let him go. There's division. But that maintains then the unity among those that want Jesus. Jesus' very next words in, in that part of the gospel. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross, which means you've got to be willing to die, you know, for love, right? For God's love. You've got to be willing to be nailed to the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're not willing to do that, take off. Go your own way. Find your own salvation. Figure it out. That's crazy. Are there times where that has to happen? Yeah. In our lives, I've seen that. A friend of mine had, had a daughter and he and his wife were just absolutely brokenhearted about the repetitive lies that she told to the family. And she got into drugs and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And she would lie and she would lie and they tried to forgive and they tried to forgive and they tried to reconcile. And we're talking month after month, year after year. You've seen this played out. And eventually, she's an adult at this point, And they said, you cannot come back here. And they arranged with the sheriff for her not to come back home. And when they came and met with me, the father later told me, Nathan, I was so incredibly scared that you were going to say, how dare you? You've got to let her back because we had other kids at home and their lives were in danger. Drug dealers were coming, looking for the money or the drugs. Our other kids were in danger. So we had to allow this division to protect our family. So when I backed them in that and I said, yeah, you don't have any choice. Jesus at one point 
in the book of John chapter 6, he gives a hard message of following him, and it says lots of people left. (laughs) They just took off. They're like, that's too hard. We want to live our way. We're not sure we want to follow a boss that created the whole world, and yeah, you love us, but yet, no, we're out. And Jesus let them go. Now, that's crazy, but sometimes the Holy Spirit then works on that person and wakes them up because they realize, wait a second, I have turned my back on love. Jesus turned to his disciples at that point when all those people were leaving, and he said to them, do you want to leave also? And Peter says, he gets it right this time, he says, there is no one else with the words of life. To whom would we go? We're sticking with you. You're the Savior. You're the one that has all life. Jesus is like, okay. I, remember, he's, Jesus is dying for them. He's willing to put it all on the line for them. He's willing to love them. So, a positive story. I told you about my friend. The girl kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting. If you talked with her, it was pure hypocrisy. Oh, I'm in the right. My parents are losers. <laughs> or they should, they should just do whatever I want. Or they should fund me. They don't really love me. But we all knew better. Another guy in that same situation, his parents had to draw the line. He kept stealing from them, lying to them. This guy, his name's John. Real story, real guy. I might even be able to connect you to him if, if you really needed that. He was... He was going to such a bad path, he got arrested, he got taken to jail, and then talking with his mom, she's like, there was nothing else I could do. Like, I had given him every opportunity, and I had forgiven and forgiven, and I had tried and tried. There had to be that division. It woke him up. He listened to the Holy Spirit in jail. He realized, wait a second, I've got to change. Like, I'm being a complete hypocrite. I've got to change. When he got out, he found the right support system. Several groups, several groups. He's working and working to to try to get clean. His mom always loved him. Do not miss that. His mom always loved him and always wanted to forgive him. If you parents out there, you know what this is like. You're like, I would always love and, and want to forgive my kid, but the trust wasn't there. So trust is a different matter. So month after month, month after month, he started earning her trust. Already had her love, but he's earning trust, earning trust, earning trust. This day, he treats his mom like a queen. I mean, does anything for her, helps her at the house. He's got his own stuff going on, getting, you know, working hard. He's got now a new little baby, and he's a good dad, and he's there. So which of these kind of three are you finding yourself in right at the moment? Is there something where it's not that big of a deal? It's not at the core. You're making it a big deal, but, you're, but it shouldn't be. You just need to give yourself some space and kind of reconcile and forgive. Or is it, no, there needs to be some confrontation. <laughs> you know what? This is, this is more about the core, about who we are uh, as God's people, or this is about, this is so big, my friend is just, you know, being this horrible hypocrite. I've got it, but I love them. I, I love them enough that I'll be honest with them face to face. Or is it at that level of, you feel guilty because there has to be that division, but, but there's no other way. And Jesus and the disciples, they lived that, not shunning them, Always waiting. Prodigal son. Remember? The father, God figure in the prodigal son. When the prodigal son wanted to come back, what did the father do? Open arms, right? Open arms. Open arms. Wanted to forgive. Wanted to, wanted to bring back. Where are you in this? Because the unity that you have, being united with others, it's going to be 
ripped apart if we don't fight against it and say, wait, we will do what the Bible says to bring us back together and to help us to be united. Is that worth praying for? Is that worth crying out to God for? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Because the redemption stories are there. And so let me pray for your friendships and then marriages and then families. We'll talk about family and church next week a little bit more. Let's talk to God. God, I pray that we would be able to be united with you in such a way that with our friends, we'll know what to do. Do we need to just forgive and move on? Or do we need to confront? Or if we tried and we tried and we tried and we just need your love and, and grace because there's that, that division that has to be, but it breaks our hearts. So God, what is it, Lord, for our friends? How can we be better friends? How can we love them the way you love us? For the marriages that are here, Lord, is there brokenness and division over stuff that's not the core, not the core. You, we can work through it. We can forgive. We can reconcile. God, give us that space to be able to hear from you and then to reconcile and to come back together. Or Lord, is there con- confrontation that needs to be made? God, help us to lovingly, lovingly, but face to face, say, here's what we see. We so badly want to be united. Help us to, help us to be honest with each other. Wake up and to love each other your way. And for those that have been trying and trying and trying, they just need to be encouraged today that you haven't abandoned them as they try to stay strong and others have rejected them and they've gone away. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the people here today that need to be encouraged and loved as they maintain some unity among their family and their friends, even though people have rejected them. Lift them up, Lord. Help us to worship you now, united together. Amen. We have prayer stations, prayer teams. They're going to come forward, and if you want to receive prayer as we continue to sing, you come to them. You just, you know, if you want to say something specific, you can. If you want to just say, hey, Bobby, pray for me. This is Bobby. If you say, hey, Bobby, pray for me, they'll just start praying. Just start praying as we seek the Lord's help, being unified with Him with love.
love.